0: This morning's scripture reading comes from Ruth, chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I'll be reading from the New International Version today. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. In Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go out to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I see favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entering a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the woman. I have told you the men told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this. She bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? She, Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May, you be, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. She, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men: Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up, and don't rebuke her. So ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her, mother in law about the one at whose place she had been working the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz she said the Lord bless him Naomi said to her daughter-in-law he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead she added that man is our close relative he is one of our guardian redeemers then Ruth the Moabite said he even said to me stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain Naomi said to Ruth her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the woman who worked for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvesters were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law.
1: In In the the long story uh, in The Lord of the Rings, uh, I want to just refer to something there that illustrates... The power of story as, as uh, Frodo and Sam, these two hobbits, are on this great adventure and hobbits are not known to take great adventures and they are working their way now towards the hardest part, towards Mordor, uh, which is a very dark, dark place uh, full of uh, who knows what. And uh, they're, they, they realize, they're, they're talking about the story that they're on. And they realize that they don't know the end of the story. That's the way it is when you're in a story. If you're in the story, you don't know necessarily what the end will be. And that's a very uncertain place. And uh, Frodo, or I'm sorry, Sam says to Frodo, I wonder what kind of story we have fallen into. It's a great line, a great question. And we, we might ask that. Of ourselves. In fact, the text is asking that uh, of, of Ruth's story and, and Boaz as their lives are coming together. What kind of story, I wonder, are, have we fallen into? And you fall into a story. The story, you fall into it and then it just sort of takes over. Let me illustrate. Um, our oldest son uh, was, uh, when he was young, he made a bold declaration that he was never going to get married. And uh, uh, I, I think I made that same declaration. So, you know, you kind of smile as a parent. And um, and he and his, his two younger brothers actually made a pact that they were going to live in a log cabin and have a sign outside that said, no girls allowed. So, <laughs> no, they took it seriously. Uh, in those years, uh, maybe a little older than that, there w- we were going to a church and... Um, I was in business. This was down in Olympia. And there was a, a little girl there that was kind of... Um, I don't know what the, what the right word is. Um, she'd get in a little bit of trouble here and there. But she had a crush on our oldest son, Aaron. I didn't know this at the time. But there's this line in the, um, in the story that was read of Ruth, and I'm going to use here. It's, As it turned out... Okay, so okay, here we go. As it turned out... Uh, we moved uh, from, uh, when we moved from Olympia to Anchorage area, and I sold my business, I sold it, I happened to sell it, as it turned out, to her father, this little girl's father. And uh, we lived there for a while, and he came up one time on, on uh, a business thing, and he stayed with us, and now Jenny, our, the little girl, she's now 13 years old, and she is a, uh, I, 13 years old. I said this before. It was the worst year of my life. And so uh, she was, uh, or he was sharing about Jenny and the prayers they had for her and the concerns they had for her as a 13-year-old girl who's getting in all kinds of trouble now. And so I, I remember praying with, with Lowell, her dad, for this. You know where this is going, right? As it turned out, and then she, time goes on, things get better for Jenny, and she ends up going, as it turns out, to college, where our middle son, one of the others that would never get married, and he's—they're all married. Sorry, whatever. But these, and, and um, they were there at Azusa Pacific down in, in the LA area for a few years, and um, in that time period, she somehow got a hold of. Aaron, the, the boy that she had a crush on when she was eight years old, she got a hold of his email through our, uh, his brother, and then things start happening through email. They become friends, and then as it turns out, you know, um, they they ended up dating, getting married, and we have uh, two grandchildren. As it turns out, okay, but before, right in there, in that place in the story where um, he was considering asking her to marry him. Uh, he asked, we were in a hot tub together on a vacation, and he said, Dad, what, just, you know, uh, d- dads love it when their kids ask him for advice, by the way, and it, it, it happens every once in a while. And, and um, so, what, what? did? how do you know it's the right girl? That was basically the question. How, how do you know it's the right girl? And uh, I said, well, I, I said, the first thing you need to know is that you're not going to marry somebody who's perfect. <laughs> if, if you've never said amen in church before, now is your moment.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, you're not, okay, so we got that down. And then I said, uh, I know that you're attracted to her, and she is, she is pretty, you know, and all that, but without inner beauty... It ain't gonna go. It, it's gonna be really tough. So what do, you, what do you see in her that you really appreciate in the, the inner part of who she is? And he knew that. Um, so my dad, my mom uh, was dying of cancer, and um, this was this was before this, but it's part of our family history story. And you know I, th- that my the image of of love for me is my dad stroking my mom's hair when she's in hospice. And about ready to die. And if you can't picture that with this person that you're going to get married to as part of the deal, then, you know, somebody needs to do some work inside themselves. So there's the... Um, well, as it turns out, let's go back to that phrase. Uh, what kind of story does Ruth fall into? We want to look at that this morning. And it's a story that is... Is um, I'm going to say dominated or um, held together by a particular Hebrew word which I introduced last week. I want to get it up here for you again. And it's the word hesed. Uh, Hesed is a beautiful word. You find it in many places in the Old Testament but it's it's kind of the key word in this uh, little four-chapter book called Ruth. And it, it means something like loving kindness that clings. And you see that Ruth having that towards her mother-in-law Naomi, that just I'm not going to let go of you no matter what kind of thing. And you can see how it applies to marriage, but you also want to see how it applies to God pursuing you and why He pursues you. Well, um, this story is, has many levels to it, and I want to focus on just a couple in today. And the, one is how does the how do the qualities, the values, the the inner beauty that we see in Ruth and in Boaz. There's something in both of them that they, they share in common. Uh, and it's this valuing of this word. But how do, what, what is it we see there that we would want for ourselves um, and would want for our children and grandchildren, if we have any? So that's part of it. And then we want to see how this story that she's fallen into is part of this big story that God is, is doing uh, throughout time. So we're going to just We're going to do that by looking through the lens of these two questions, and we'll walk through the text or part of the text that will illustrate that. And um, I want to begin by going back a week because this is definitely... Whoever wrote this story, we don't know who wrote it. The Bible doesn't tell us who wrote it, but they were a good storyteller, really good storyteller, and many have commented on that. But um, So in the spirit of storytelling, I want to give you the brief overview of what is the first chapter was all about. So you have this family of four Roughly ten years earlier from the text now that we read this morning. So ten years have passed. Uh, but when, So ten years ago they went to they were in Bethlehem and then they went to Moab, which is to the east of Israel, to the east of Bethlehem. Uh, maybe two days walk. So it's not a long ways, but they go there and they live there for, for ten years. And during that ten years, the husband dies, Elimelech, Elimelech dies, and then uh, there's uh, two boys... And who married two girls from uh, their Moabites, and um, the, bo- the two boys die. So what you're left with is a mother-in-law and two daughters-in-law, and the one named Oprah, or Pa, we can call her Oprah. Anyway, she goes back home. And so now you're left with two women, the mother-in-law, Ruth, or Naomi, and the daughter-in-law, Ruth. And they go back to Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem, which is, you know, where David was from and where Jesus was born. So uh, we're picking up on some of that story here, and we'll come back to. But uh, in Bethlehem, we find that Naomi has been touched by self-pity. And when we have, you know, we've all been touched by self-pity, right? I mean, we know what that feels like. And uh, it, one of the characteristics of self-pity is that you can't see uh, the assets that you have in your asset column of you know, your, the ledger of your life. And so um, she, she actually says that, you know, she hasn't lost her faith, but she believes that God is now against her. The Lord is now, uh, he's not on my side. And at the same time, Ruth, who is clinging to her, says, I want that God more than anything else. So you have this, this mother-in-law who's got self-pity and this daughter-in-law who's just tenacious in her hesed. So that's where we left off last week. And then we come to Act 2, the second chapter in our drama. And it says, now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, her husband, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. So we're introduced now to this character named Boaz. What do we know about him? We know that he was an Israelite. We know that he was a man of standing, uh, meaning that he had wealth, that he had um, a land. He, owned, he was a landowner. And uh, he had a great reputation. So I mean, he's got what seems like he has it all. So he's up here on the social scale with status and all that. And he's the exact opposite of Ruth, who is not from Israel, and she has she's very poor. She's an ethnic outsider. She's a a racially uh, that's not a a, the Moabites were not uh, they, they were considered. There was bad blood between Israel and Moab that goes way back. So um, she's an immigrant. I mean, it's just everything that Boaz is not, Ruth is. And this is the story of how those two come together and meet for the first time. Are you ready? It's pretty, it's pretty good stuff. All right. Um, what, what Ruth does is she asks uh, Naomi, the, well, basically she says, let me go out into the fields and pick the grain that is left over. This is called gleaning. And in the Old Testament, God had set it up. God, who is kind, who shows hesed, uh, set it up so that the poor, the immigrant, the fatherless, the widow, could come in behind the harvesters, and they were instructed to leave some behind so that the poor could pick it up. God is so good, right? He cares for, he cares for the immigrant, And uh, he cares for people like Ruth. And it's a beautiful picture of who God is and how kind he is. So um, Ruth uh, is heading out to the fields. And the thing I want to point out to you in her character, I'm going to come back to this in a bit, but there's something about Ruth, and you saw it last week, where she was willing to go to a new place. She's like Abraham, the, the, the founder of the people of Israel, who was willing to leave the land of his father and his mother and come to a new place. And Ruth has that same spirit about her. Now, for a woman who, who is a poor immigrant woman, to have the kind of boldness that she has right here is, is pretty amazing. She has initiative. She has boldness. Uh, she's going to. She has courage. And the reason you can amplify all that is because four times in the text that was read for you, I'm not going to go into it all, but we'll pick up on one of these in a little bit, this is a dangerous world. This is the land uh, in the time of Judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's a way of saying everybody was doing a lot of wrong stuff. Everyone's doing what's right. Now, to be a woman in that culture, if you want to read about what men did to women, go back into Judges and you'll hear the, one of the last stories there is about a, a, a prophet who chops up his prostitute and sends her body parts out to all of Israel. How's that? What's it like to be a woman, a young woman who's not from this place and, uh, you know, from a different people, different culture, um, really racially impure in their, in their eyes. What's it like for her to go out and look for work on that day? There are many reasons for her to be fearful and to not do this, and she does it. There's something about Ruth. That's all I'm going to tell you. Uh, she goes into the field, and here's that phrase that, we, uh, that I mentioned earlier in verse 3. And as it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, of all people. As it turned out can also be translated, she chanced upon. And uh, Eugene Peterson has a, a wonderful little phrase that he says. He's, he calls it holy luck. Holy luck, you don't forget that one. But it's the idea that it seems like luck, but it's directed by God. He calls it holy luck. And so, as it turned out, uh, she ends up in that field. Now, the book of Ruth, uh, similarly to the book of Esther, down the, down the road a ways in the Bible, there, is no, there are no miracles in the book, per se. There's no special, there's no angels, there's no supernatural manifestations. But there's a lot of God activity going on that you have to look for, and you'll see it. And so there are many prayers in the in the book of Ruth that people say, May the Lord do this or that for you. And all of those prayers get answered in the end. So, um, uh, spoiler alert there. But um, it, it is it 's drenched with the hand of God working in people 's ordinary lives. What do you think the reader or i 'm sorry the writer of this, wants us to know as people who are followers of Yahweh, this God of Israel? He wants us to know that God works in the ordinary events in your life, and that you, the decisions you make, at least some of those decisions, have huge implications in terms of finding yourself in a certain story. Um, the story that you fall into and, and the the way you tell your story as you say, and as it turned out you know so in the Christmas story, just a couple of examples of this and um, these, these would be, just to illustrate, but a little more extreme, but in the in the story of Mary, who's now nine months pregnant, where is she? She's in Nazareth, which is in the north of Israel, and the decree of Caesar goes out. What does that decree say? She has to go to her place, her, her like you know, census place of birth, so she has to travel on a donkey, nine months pregnant, down to uh, Bethlehem, which is where we are here. And uh, as it turned out, she gets there, and there's no room where in the end, right? And as it turns out, then things unfold and unfold. And there's this huge story going on. But that, we have those stories ourselves. I told you one earlier from you know, my son, about my son, but I mean, I can say the same thing about me. My story's not, in on one hand, it's, it's garden variety stuff, but it, it's my story, right? So it's not garden variety to me. So I was twenty. I Even mean, I was all kind of, I'll just tell you a little bit. Twenty-four years old, wandering around in life without direction, go through a painful experience, and I'm in my best friend's wedding in Edmonds, and his. I'm paired up in the wedding party with his sister, his crazy sister, who was known for partying. <laughs> And she had come to Jesus about six months earlier. And she can't stop talking about Jesus. And somehow, in my story, I, had, I couldn't stop thinking about Jesus. I was haunted by him, you know, more or less. But I, I you know, just knew there was somebody, something there. And that night, I just couldn't say no. It's not like I said this big, yes, Lord, I've been looking for you. It was like, well, I can't think of any reason why I shouldn't. You know, it was really, <laughs> that's my story. And then uh, two months later, as I kind of progressed in that story, lots of stuff happened that were, uh, you know, as it turned out, sort of stuff. But I, I met my wife. And then as it turned out, we have, um, you know, we, we, well, we, we got married two years later. And as it turned out, we had three boys that don't want to get married and, you know, that I can go on and on and on. But on our 15th anniversary, I got a phone call. It was on Sunday night when we got back from our anniversary from somebody in Alaska saying, hey, would you consider coming to Alaska to plant a church? And then, okay, then I sold the business. You see how this all kind of, as it turns out, as it turns out. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. But we all have stories, and there's not necessarily miracles in our story as much as there is the hand of God directing it. Okay, that we're going to get more into the Ruth story next week, but I want you to see the, the story that she has fallen into. Now, how does she meet Boaz? Is We're, we're going to go next in the story, but the question behind when she meets Boaz is what is her beauty? What is it that Boaz saw in her? And um, I'm going to start with just the text and what it says here, and then we'll get to the question. So, Boaz goes out that day, as any good uh, business person would, or you know the harvest is really a special time in an agricultural community, and uh, you 've got to be on top of it, so he's out there checking on things, and it's kind of cool what goes on here with the the, the the sayings that go out from his mouth and the blessings that come back. He says, "May the Lord be with you," and then all the workers say, "And may the Lord bless you." You know, and that's kind of cool to hear that. But um, you wonder because words are cheap, right? And people can use words uh, in a shallow way. You wonder who this guy really is. So let's find out. Well, as he as he scans the landscape there and looks at who's working that day in his field he notices some a young woman catches his eye let's just put it that way and uh, this woman is Ruth and so he asks the foreman that day who is that who's, whose woman does she belong to uh, where where is her family, basically? And the um, foreman tells him that that is Ruth. The, and we'll see here in a minute that um, Boaz already heard of her, but uh, that's Ruth, the Moabitess. And the other thing he says about her that's, I think, kind of cool is it says she, he says basically that she has a really good work ethic. And, of course, parent, parents always like to hear that, you know. Or, see, see that as a cool thing um, and tell their kids about it, right? Well, uh, she has a good work ethic, uh, she's been working hard since she got here, and she's only had a short break, basically. So he goes up to Ruth, and he, so he's going to now talk with her, and the first words out of his mouth that he calls her is, My daughter. Kind of interesting, isn't it? My daughter? Let's, let's stop on that one for a minute. Why does he say that? Uh, the phrase is... Here's a a translation of it, would be something like, you are a true daughter of Israel. You are a daughter, maybe, of Abraham. You are, you. and he knows about her, so we'll get to that, but uh, you are somebody who is rare, would be another way to say that, because... What she does in showing the kindness that she does to her mother-in-law is exceptional, and you don't see that very often. Uh, is, this is all in that phrase, my daughter. And then he invites her to stay uh, working in, in his land. Don't go anywhere else and I will tell my men not to harm you. There you go. There's one of the warnings that we talked about earlier, how she could have been raped, she could have been sexually assaulted. There's a lot of bad things that could have happened to uh, Ruth, and he's, gonna, he's already told his men to uh, take care of her or be nice to her, don't harm her. So Ruth, then, we see something in, in her uh, Character now, and that is that when she hears all this, this this favor that he's putting upon her, she asks the question, Why me? She bows down to the ground in humility and says, What have I done? I'm a foreigner. Why are you treating me this way? Maybe, uh, I don't think it would be like, You know, why are you being so nice? Did you do something? You know, did I do, you know, you want something? I mean, what's the deal here? But she was surprised by the amount of generosity in the heart of Boaz. And then Boaz comes back and you're kind of getting this back and forth uh, beautiful to read stuff going on here. <clears throat> and uh, it spirals um, and he he offers even more to her. He's going to uh, make sure that the men, that she can, that they'll leave some behind. Not just what's gleaned, but some special stuff for her and more protection And and then she's even more filled with gratitude. You see this sort of thing growing, whatever it is, it's growing. It's, there's there's a, 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 something happening here. And then she goes home that night, and um, she has plenty of food, and she tells her story to her mother-in-law. <clears throat> All right, let's look at the beauty. Now, For some of you, I need to, um, I'll probably spoil the party a little bit here, but are any of you hopeless romantics? Are there any hopeless romantics in the room? Uh, Yeah, there's a few, I know. Um, This is really not a romance story. However, I will say that it's just hard to know how much of it it is. There's, There's probably some in there somewhere. Um, So we, you know, I'm not sure this story would be that thrilling to people who read People Magazine. Put it that way. That's my my People Magazine comment. So do we live in a culture that values outer beauty or inner beauty? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's our cultural norm, and much has been written. This is from uh, The Survival of the Prettiest by Nancy Epcot. In the United States, more money is spent on beauty than on education or social services. What does that say? that 's a lot of money, and especially if you 're a teacher and you see that you know or uh, that 's a lot of money. so uh, we value outer beauty, and it 's not that there 's no value there it 's just that maybe we have it out of proportion and wouldn 't it be cool? I mean I throw this out wouldn 't it be absolutely cool if if the church, I'll say this church or any church, was known for that being, that place where every Sunday you get together and you reappraise what is valuable and what isn't. Or, you know, rearrange the price tags that have been you know, set maybe in the wrong way in our culture. And we say together that what we value is character we value inner beauty. We value the things of the heart and the soul more than we do the exterior. And it's not to say the exterior doesn't matter. It's just the, the priority um, that we have. Um, so we, re- we reset the price tags every week. Hopefully that's part of what we're doing. So what does Boaz see in Ruth? And I'll I'll touch on two things that uh, are in the text. One is he values the Hesed that he sees in her. It's clear that he knew before he met her, he had not seen her, so it wasn't clear who she was visually, but he knew that this young Moabites woman uh, had come and and showed Hesed that clinging loving kindness to her mother-in-law. Who was a relative of his. And he says, Right here, why are you being so kind to me? She asks, and he says, Because you have been so kind to Naomi. So that's part of the attraction, maybe, maybe the main part. But I want to get to another thing that I think is pretty cool about, uh, about Ruth. Is, and I mentioned it earlier, she is bold, and she is fearless, and she is courageous, and she takes initiative. She is a strong woman let 's hear it for strong women, yeah, a few of you, yeah, all right, but she 's also mixed with that rare combination. she is humble, bold and humble at the same time it 's beautiful, she bows down she, she shows gratitude she doesn't there's no entitlement you don 't find any of that in her and it's just this amazing quality that she has, and I would suggest that that's what some, something that you might want to uh, have, that this bold humility that is you know when to be bold and you know when to be humble. And uh, it, it, we live in a culture where boldness easily turns into arrogance, and humility easily turns into fear and timidity and hiding, right? Not, not, you see what you want here? I mean, this is, this is a picture. Oh, God, make me like Ruth, you know? And make my children like Ruth. Bold and humble. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I'm attracted to it. But let's step back just for a second, and I'll close here, but what is it about Ruth in the bigger story? How does this connect with the the big story that God is doing. Well, I want to remind you of Ruth's position in the family tree. She is the grandmother of David, King David. And King David is also known for Hesed, and he's known for being bold and humble. And uh, a thousand years later, after King David, in the in the genealogy of the family tree comes Jesus Christ. So Ruth is the grandmother of David and then down through history she is the great 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 you know grandmother of Jesus on the on the human side. And you see in Jesus, do you see Hesed in Jesus? Do you see Jesus clinging in loving kindness to you? I mean these that's Do you see the story that you have fallen into? When you fall fall into this story with Jesus, you've fallen into someone who clings to you. Do you see the beauty of Jesus Christ? Are you attracted to the beauty of Jesus Christ? Not everybody is. You're free to say yes or no. But he is beautiful, and nobody clings like Jesus. um, This is the story that you're invited into. This is the story that hopefully you have fallen into. I, wanna, I just want to lead us in a prayer right now, and would you join me in that? And I want, I, as we pray, I want to introduce this. You just keep your eyes closed, but just think about your story. Think about those times in your life. And maybe today is that time. As it turned out, as it turned out, I had this friend, as it turned out, I married someone who just had this thing for Jesus. And I saw this inner beauty in her or him or in his friend. As it turned out, I found myself in the loving arms of Jesus, who clings and never lets go. And this can be that day where you say, I yield. I yield to your love, O Lord. I give in to you. I receive your loving kindness that clings and that never lets go. He came into this world. uh, He started out in a manger and he died on a cross. And... uh, He migrated here from heaven, and he ascended into heaven, and he invites us into that big story. And the invitation is for you and for me. So respond to his voice. Lord, you hear our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.